Welcome to the podcast of the Table of Minneapolis Church. We are a community that is committed to practicing the ways of Jesus by creating space for all to belong and be loved. Our hope is that in this podcast, in the message that you will hear, that you'll be reminded again of the eternal truth that no matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, the places that you've gone or the places that you've stayed, that there will always be a seat here for you at the table. For you're a child of God, and beloved, you belong. Enjoy this week's message. Well, before we get started on our series, I did just want to mention Matt and I have been doing a little talking about our values. We have these values that we hold. Patty, you want to throw that up there? As a community. And one of those values, unapologetically human, is one that that we've been leaning into lately because we tried to lead from up front with those values. And if you were here last week, you saw me leading in that way through when I was leading the Lord's Prayer. Patty, you want to play that? Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day. Yep. That was a miss. We like to lean into these things in a big way. But here's here's what happened that night. Christian and and all his kindness sent us, our table team, a a little play of that. What would the word be, Christian? I'm losing it. A a clip. A clip, a a snippet of that. And uh, there was something else on there, too. And this was right after Matt's sermon. Please listen carefully. Pray with me. Jesus, give us the courage, the conviction, the character. Okay, I, I would just like to say that, yes, Matt and I agreed we want to lean into that. We want to lead from the front, but he's always one ups me, me. Always, 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 Matt. Because let's face it, dear Jesus is a lot worse than forgetting a line out of the Lord's Prayer. So we are all unapologetically human, much like King David. And that's the series that we are in that we are calling The King and I. And we are in the books of Samuel, a book that used to be one, and somewhere down the line they split it into two. So we're in 1 Samuel right now. And in 1 Samuel, we get to know all about Samuel, the prophet, the seer, and we get to know about Saul, who becomes king and then loses his crown And then we get to know about David, the shepherd boy who becomes king, the greatest king of that monarchy. And the book of Samuel establishes the the monarchy. We get to see the Israelites um, go from a confederation of tribes to actually living under a king. And last week, out of chapter 8, Matt talked about this desire, this call from the Israelites for a king. Boy, they wanted a king badly. And it wasn't that they wanted a king that that was the problem. The problem was the motive behind it. Because their agenda was to look like the other nations. They wanted a king that would lead, that would fight their battles. And this was their desire all along. They wanted to be successful like their neighbors were successful. They wanted to win like the warriors down the road won. And they had this major, major external problem, and that was the Philistines. Because for about 40 years, from 1124 to 1084 BC, the Philistines were oppressing them. And that was a hard, hard conditions. Those were hard conditions to live in. So tonight, we are in the story of David and Goliath. 
And one thing I wanted to say before we jump into that is I found it so interesting because so much of what I thought, think of, and I don't know about you guys, is that, oh yeah, I love that story, the underdog wins. This is a far bigger story than that. It's actually a really amazing story about a faithful God and a faithful young man and what God does through that. So in Samuel 17, if you can picture the Philistines on one mountain here and the Israeli army on the other mountain here, and there's this valley between where a lot of wars and battles will be fought, and they put forward this giant, this big man, Goliath from Gath. And Matt spoke last week about the size of Goliath and how much time and study had been done around exactly how tall, how big he is, and there's all sorts of accounts from he was six and a half feet to nine feet but at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is, is that Goliath was strong and intimidating and he was well-trained and he was a champion in the military. So this champion, he challenges Israel. And this is what he says, give me a man that we might fight. Well, not only Israel, but Saul, they're terrified, they're afraid. And a big part of this for Saul is that he was a man that was a shoulder and head above the height of the rest of the Israeli military, and he would be a likely choice. But no one steps up. And then comes David, the youngest of Jesse from Bethlehem's son, the youngest of eight. Three of his brothers were already in the Israeli camp getting ready to fight. And David was splitting his time between the pastures and the palace. And on one of his trips there, his father says, bring food. I want you bringing food, bread to your brothers. And also here's some food for the rest of the camp. And as David gets to the camp, he witnesses this Philistine, Goliath, taunting and mocking the Israeli army. Now, the Israeli army, their problem was exactly that, that they were defying their army. But for David... For David, he saw that they were defying the army of the living God. And that changed everything for David. That's when David stepped up and he said, you know what, I'll do it. I'll fight this giant. You can only imagine. He had a brother that was furious with him. I imagine that maybe some of the people in the army were laughing at him, this young boy, shepherd. And even Saul was doubting, you can't do this. So we pick it up in 1 Samuel 17, 33 through 37. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The un this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Well, before I get to where I'm really going tonight, I wanted to pause for a minute because I thought this was important. Because despite all the doubters in his life, David is still confident. 
he's still confident that he's prepared because all along God has been preparing him. He witnessed God rescuing him in other situations that he couldn't have done on his own. And what he understood was that God calls us to be faithful right where we're at. And the beauty of David was that David wasn't confident in himself. David was confident in God. And that's the difference. And he tells Saul that it's God that had, rescu that will, had rescued him. And that's the moment when Saul says, then go and the Lord be with you. But I think what's interesting is that maybe there's a bit of a question in Saul's confidence in God. Because while that was a turning point for Saul and he says, go and be with you, it's at that moment that he puts his finest armor on this young boy. He dresses him as everybody would expect him to be dressed. But David takes it off because it doesn't fit. So we're in 1738 through 40. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go into these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So the reasons that the Israelites are in this mess to begin with, the reason they have their army standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with another army is that it's because they had a desire from the very beginning of the book of Samuel to be just like their neighbors. They wanted to be just like all the other nations. And what this story tells us, what it says, is that if you try to be like everyone around you, fighting like they fight, wearing the same armor that they wear, they're not going to win, friends. Because the weight of someone else's armor is too heavy for us to bear. We can't do it. There's no freedom. There's no rightness. There's no full life when we take on someone else's armor. Now, there are these seasons, right, when we're trying on different armor. We're trying to see what fits and what doesn't. And do you remember that as a kid? I'm going to dress like that. I want to talk like that. That kind of looks cool. But do you also remember the times that it didn't fit because it wasn't you? And I remember growing up, I had these cousins in Ohio that I thought they were just a year or two older than I, and I thought they were so cool. And one year, and I was probably in sixth or seventh grade, we went to visit, and my cousin constantly would end sentence with, oh, my God, oh, my God. And there was this piece of me that tried to imitate that because I thought it sounded so cool. But the minute it came out of my mouth, it wasn't me. It didn't fit. It didn't feel right. And that, and we weren't allowed to say that in my home, made it hard to do that. But it's that idea that we try things on. And I don't know about you, but there have been a lot of attempts in my life that have left me awkwardly kind of trying to navigate in a way that felt forced and unnatural and just very un-me. And that's not what God has for us. 
Saul says, here's my armor, wear it. And this isn't some malicious attack on David's life. That'll happen later in this story. But this truly was a sincere expectation that this was the way to help this kid win. He figures that if this boy's going to have a chance, that he's got to have the most, the finest armor, the best armor in the kingdom. He's got to have his armor on. So that's what you do. But what if it doesn't fit? And it didn't fit. It was too big. David couldn't move. And it's not that it didn't just fit physically. It did not fit spiritually. And not armor or military technology or human wisdom would win this one. And I think what the story is trying to say is that victory will not come unless we come as we are. Victory will not come unless we come as we are. And the monarchy of Israel will not be successful as long as it continues to chase after their neighbor's causes, to wear their neighbor's clothes, to mimic every superpower down the street. And if that's true for them, it's got to be true for us, right? So often we fight or we operate with another person's armor. We see God doing something wonderful through someone else and we try to copy that. We try to copy it without making it our own. And I often wonder how hard that must be for Matt working with me, trying to take on my armor day to day. <laughs> I told Matt, he better laugh at that one. <laughs> Because there isn't a day that goes by that I don't say, Matt, take off my armor, put your own armor on. Come on, come on, Matt. But the truth is, and I've shared this a little bit, that we know Matt is a gifted, gifted speaker and communicator. And that's actually been a place for me to be reminded that I'm not to take on Matt's armor, that God is using me in the unique way I'm wired and the unique way I communicate to speak in the way that God will have me speak. And so we remind each other of that all, all the time. And it's interesting, too, because um, tonight's message, you know, Matt was going to preach this last weekend, but then decided to shift gears. And uh, he sent me his notes, and we met a couple days later. And he said, so what did you think? And I said, I really like a lot of them. But the first half, Matt was, had all this wonderful history around... Um, Homer's writing and tying it in the Odyssey and the Iliad or the Iliad and the Odyssey and, and just all these facts and all these things. And I said, I looked at that and thought, that is so not me. You could pull this off and it would be awesome if I tried that. Absolutely not. Nobody would buy it. So it was just kind of an interesting thing on this topic of armor. But it really is. It boils down to this. It boils down to trusting, trusting that each of us are uniquely created and wired for God's purposes. And it's God that will use us in the moments that he chooses to use us. So whose armor are you wearing tonight that's keeping you from winning your days? That's keeping you from leaning into who you are? You know, there's nothing, there was nothing wrong with Saul's armor. There was no deficiencies inside of it. But it's just that, that it was Saul's armor. 
It wasn't David's armor. And just like someone else's armor is not ours. And so why do we, why do we over and over again insist on putting it on and turning ourselves off? It reminded me, I was in a book study earlier this year, and we were reading a book called The Sensible Shoes Club. It ended up being awesome. It was about spiritual disciplines. And at one of our last meetings, this question was asked, where in your life do you do impression management? Where in your life do you do impression management? I thought about that. And for someone who thinks of herself as being authentic and honest and real, I became aware that where I do that is with my family of origin. That with my own parents, I do a lot of impression management. For some reason, there feels like there's some risk there. It doesn't feel safe all the time to make myself vulnerable that somehow I might get hurt in that process. So I put on that I'm competent and that I'm strong and that I don't need advice or help in any way, that I've got this. That's what I put on and it struck me that every single time that I do that, I'm putting on someone else's armor. It's protective, but ultimately it separates me from myself, it separates me from others, and it separates me from God. Authenticity, it's important. So we have David who did take off his armor and he picked up his staff. And the beautiful thing about staffs in the shepherding world is they weren't just for shepherding. They were a piece of telling their story. Shepherds would make a mark or a notch with each significant life event. And as David puts down his armor and he picks up that staff, the story reads this, that David took off Saul and he picked up David. What if we were to do the same thing? What might our lives look like if we were intentional about that in every area of our life, with every relationship of our life, if we were to put our own self on in every situation? I do get the struggle. I think as I get older, I get better at it. I get more confident, not in who I am, but who God is. But I still struggle. And I think there's times that we opt for armor over authenticity. We'd rather be accepted and safe than live honestly and open. E.E. E. Cummings wrote this. To be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody but yourself means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. I think we are created and called to do just that. To fight to be who God created us to be because I think when we do that, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen for the kingdom. I think a lot about pastoral ministry and all the different unique persons that I've had the privilege of doing ministry with. And Annie Lumbar Benson and I are part of a team of people that run a grief recovery ministry and 
One Tuesday night a month, people come forward who've lost babies and children and spouses of all ages and parents and siblings. We come together and we just get a chance to love on them. But if you look at the unique persons that have been called to this ministry, boy, we look a lot different because there's Annie L.B. with her bigger-than-life personality that welcomes everybody in with so much love. She makes them feel loved and cared for. And then there's our sweet Dan who never says a word but quietly sits beside people with tears running down his face, rubbing their back as they cry and remember their loved one. And then there's our other Annie, who's the funniest person you've ever met, and she brings that lightness and joy just in the right moment. And what I know is that I can't put Annie's armor on, and Annie can't put Dan's armor on, and Annie can't put Annie's armor on, because it wouldn't work. We wouldn't do what God is calling us to do. And that's the beauty of being comfortable and confident in who God created each and every one of us to be. This is risky because this wasn't part of what I was going to talk about, but I thought about it when we were singing, so let's see if I can put it together. I was also thinking about how sometimes we've been forced to put armor on in our lives because there didn't seem to be another option. And I was thinking about my friends from the LGBTQ community. And I was thinking about women over the years having to work in a man's world. And I was thinking about people of color who had to fit into this white world. And I was thinking about not only how hard that is to put on someone else's armor, but how wrong it is. That's not the life that God calls us to live. I can't really take it farther than that because I didn't think about it farther than that, but it did strike me that that's important. That's really, really important. Naked we come from the womb, Job said, and naked we shall depart this life. But in the in-between, we clothe ourselves in just lots of fascinating ways. There are lots of spaces and places that I'm not completely comfortable being myself. But what I know from this story is that at the end of the day, it is about trusting a God that can do anything through any of us in any moment that God chooses. I think we need to just start getting comfortable with that and start trusting that. And here's why it's important, because we are people who follow Jesus. We are people who are trying to practice the ways of Jesus. And Jesus is the king of authenticity. So take off Saul's armor. Stay true to who you are. And then let's see what we can all do together. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, we come before you, Lord. And it is hard in the midst of what the world tells us about what we should look like and what armor we should wear. But God, the truth is that you have created each and every one of us uniquely and beautifully and that you call each of us your beloved and that you will work through us in all sorts of different circumstances for your purpose and your glory. God, give us the courage 
to name those places and spaces and people where we're putting on other armor. We trust that your spirit, God, continues to move in us, not just individually, but as a community, as we step into what it means to truly follow you and trust you. We lift all this to you. We pray it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks, Debbie. As Debbie was talking, I was thinking about a memory from a few years ago when um, in college, had my first music gig, and I was opening for this band at the Fine Line. And um, after putting five hours into my hair, I finally thought about what should I play for the music that, that night. I named all my favorite, like, songs, like the cover songs, Black Balloon, obviously Wonderwall, and a few others. Played the set, opened for this band, thought it went great, went up to this guy afterwards who was kind of managing the whole night, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, you sounded really, really good. You, you hit all of your notes. I just wish you would have told us who you were because that's other people's stories. What song do you have to sing? I've never forgot that. I've never forgot his words on just how shallow life can be when we sing other people's songs at the expense of telling our stories. And I'll never forget how Jesus himself never did that. People walked away from him. People found him to be not palatable enough, too political, too revolutionary. Yet he set his face towards Jerusalem and he kept on walking. All the way to the final evening when he gathered with his friends around the table for one more meal. And vulnerably, authentically, he reached for the bread that was in the middle of the table. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When I'm not here, but you still are, whenever you gather, whenever you reach for this bread, remember me. In the same way, Jesus took the bottle of wine and he poured himself a glass and he said that this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Again, when you come together over a meal and you reach for the bottle and you pour in the glass, remember me. Remember who I am. Because I never tried to be anybody else. We do this every Sunday night, we gather before the bread and the wine. Uh, there will be two places right here. Which side is the gluten-free element? Gluten-free over here. You will take it, dip it into the cup. Gluten-full over here. Debbie, do you want to do the Lord's Prayer or should I pray to Jesus right now? Okay. Let's all stand and say the Lord's Prayer together. Our God who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.